lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. Greetings. Welcome to The Blaze TV, radio, podcast. I'm Steve Dace. Happy Thursday to all of you. Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre, they're here with me as well. If you would like to join us today, 888-900-3393. That's 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com. That's how you can email the program. D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Parlor at Steve Dace. You can follow us there and check out our new YouTube channel. YouTube.com slash Steve Dace. That's where you can go to get free clips of the program that you can sample yourself and then share with others if you wouldn't mind. That helps us to get the word out as well. Jam-packed show lined up for you today. Bottom of the hour, researcher extraordinaire. Phil Kirpin is going to be joining us. He has gone way deep, way deep into the weeds, researching coronavirus and the schools and more. And we're going to get information, the latest from him, including, uh, hey, um, why does it matter if emergency room visits for COVID symptoms are going down right now in real time as we speak in the States? that we are told are hell on earth. We're going to talk about all that and more with Phil Kirpin coming up in just a little bit. By the way, I don't know if you guys saw me. I tweeted this yesterday. Um, there are four border, border counties in Texas. Yeah. Did you guys see this? I did. Yeah. Four border counties in Texas, and I, I wish I could remember. Um, uh, let me see if it's on my feed really quick because I want to mention the name of the counties. Uh, it's it's um, El Paso, Webb, Cameron, and Hidalgo. Right. These four border counties in Texas account for one out of six coronavirus deaths in the state. Combined, these four counties have 228,000 fewer people than Dallas County does. So that's a substantial amount of people. Right. Right. And Dallas County accounts for one out of 11 coronavirus deaths in the state of Texas. Make of that. What you will. I'm sure the governor's on it there, Steve. I'm sure he's all over Stay it. home, save lives. Yes, wear a mask when it's 300 degrees outside, yes. Uh, we'll talk to Phil Kirpin a little bit later on. Theology Thursday, we've got another listener question that we will be tackling, and then three non-political questions as we take a respite from the decline and fall of Western civilization. Before, though, we get to all of that, here is Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away? Brought to you by Optimism, courtesy of South Dakota Governor Christy Noem. I mean, this yeah. this negativity that we hear from leaders and doctors about how terrible the situation is in our country, we're in a good spot. We are driving down our death rates. The virus is moving across the country, but we're taking care of people. They're getting the resources. The administration has helped governors respond to their people. I, I worry about these kids that turn on the news and hear their parents talking about being scared and hear news anchors talking about being worried and doctors. Uh, We wonder why our kids are struggling with anxiety. Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti announced yesterday he's ordering water and power utilities to be shut off for unsanctioned large gatherings. Translation, Grace Community Church Pastor John MacArthur, who's already facing fines for his church continuing to meet together, is probably going to have to shout his sermon on Sunday. Politico tweets, New Jersey went from being one of the country's worst COVID-19 hotspots to a model of how to flatten the curve. 
Here's English broadcaster Katie Hopkins coming to us from Melbourne, Australia, giving us a report on that city's new lockdown. Melbourne in Australia is now under the most draconian lockdown I think we've seen anywhere since Corona and the nonsense around Corona began. They have just introduced measures for six weeks, which will be the most stringent and make effectively Australian people prisoners in their own home. There will be a curfew between the hours of 8pm and 5am. You're not allowed to go further than five kilometres from your own home. You're only allowed out for an hour a day. You are not allowed to go to the supermarket in twos. You are not allowed to go to work. All schools are going to be shut. And here's Dr. Anthony Fauci in 2009 during the H1N1 outbreak. The other thing is to avoid, particularly when there's flu in the community, avoid places where there are people who are sick and coughing and it's a crowded place. Now, that's difficult to do. You can't isolate yourself from the rest of the world for the whole flu season, but use some good judgment in that. And here's Dr. Anthony Fauci now. There is a degree of anti-science feeling in this country. And I think it is not just related to science, it's almost related to authority and a mistrust in authority that spills over. The long-predicted surge in new cases and deaths from COVID-19 has finally hit Sweden, who didn't lock down. This information is from Sweden's health ministry. Okay, maybe not. Moving on, Vice President Mike Pence called out Chief Justice John Roberts. Chief Justice John Roberts has been a disappointment to conservatives, whether it be the Obamacare decision or whether it be a spate of recent decisions all the way through uh, Calvary Chapel. So what's he going to do about it? It, It's just it's a reminder. And uh, I think several cases out of the Supreme Court are a reminder of just how important this election is for the future of the Supreme Court. Senator Mazi Hirono of Hawaii said some things about some stuff yesterday. The following video is courtesy of The Daily Wire. And now there are all these attacks about Black Lives Matter and what they're saying. I mean, how many of us even think that defunding police departments is uh, it should be taken literally? I will never stop saying not only do we need to disinvest for in police, but we need to completely dismantle the Minneapolis Police Department. And so dismantling this, um, defunding ICE and CBP along with defunding overfunded departments, uh, police departments is all part and all linked in in very linked and similar fight. How many of us even think that defunding police departments is uh, it should be taken literally? Oprah Winfrey also said some stuff. White people, there are white people who are not as powerful as the system of white people, the caste system, but they still, no matter where they are on the rung or the ladder of success, they still have their whiteness. And Finally, Donald Trump interviews himself. Take a look at some of these charts. In numerous categories, uh, we're lower than the world. Let me explain. Well, right here, take a look. You can test too much. You do know that. What it says is when you have somebody that has it, where there's a case, we're last. No, but you're not reporting it correctly. We have cases, our testing, I believe, this is the testing, yeah. Check it out. New cases, new cases, new cases. And that's what happened while we were away. (sighs) 
Aaron's Montage brought to you by Gabby. You know, we're all looking for ways to save money nowadays. Uh, when's the last time you looked at how much that you're spending every month on car insurance or homeowner's insurance for that matter? Well, now's the time to check out Gabby and see about getting a lower rate for the exact same coverage that you already have. Gabby takes the pain out of shopping for insurance by giving you an apples to apples comparison of your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers out there like Nationwide, Travelers, and others. You can just look at your current insurance account and in about two minutes, you'll be able to see quotes for the exact same coverage you already have. In fact, if you've already got the best rates, they'll tell you that too. They said, hey man, great job. You've already got the best rates in the market for where you're currently at. So move on. But at least then you kind of had the comfort of knowing that you're not wasting any money. You got the most bang for your buck. It's totally free to check your rate. There's no obligation. Takes two minutes. You can do it just right now uh, to see how much you can save on your car and homeowner's insurance. Go to Gabby.com slash Dace. That's G-A-B-I, by the way. G-A-B-I for Gabby.com slash Dace. That's Gabby.com slash Dace. Let's let's get to the montage and I want to contrast, first of all, Maisie Hirano is just a despicable liar. That's it. Let's get to the other thing that I wanted to mention. Um, I, I, do, is any other further commentary? Is that sufficient, do you think? No, I'm full. That, okay, That was you. nice. All right. Um, I want to contrast two videos and ask a simple question. If you were running for re-election for president of the United States in the worst pandemic since at least the Hong Kong flu 50 years ago, the Asian flu 60 years ago, the Spanish flu 100 years ago, you, you just lost one third of your GDP after presiding over and giving some ammunition for the the best economic boom we've had in 20 years since the dot-com era. You're a lightning rod already for the other side um, to the point that they think they can literally nominate a dementia patient and can just run on orange man bad because of how much you're going to ignite their voter base, their potential voter base, Right. If 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 you were that candidate, is that an adequate description of the dilemma that faces Donald Trump here in these next 89 days? Oh, you could go deeper if you wanted to. <laughs> All right, then let me emphasize, is it an adequate one? Yes. I, maybe it's not sufficient, Yes. but is it adequate? We're scratching the surface. Okay. All right. That's an adequate description of, of the next 88, the plight of the next 88 days, correct? Yes. All right. And you can't be everywhere, Right. You can't, you can't even, even we if don't want you to be everywhere. Yeah, that's true too. But even if there weren't a pandemic and you were more popular, you still could not be correct. Right. right. And so you need, uh, you need surrogates, particularly with a running mate. Right. And which of those two pictures would, would you think has the better chance of being a boost to you now they can't hurt you i mean i said this the other day in the overtime i'll say it here for the the general audience this is actually if you're if you're into if you're into handicapping and wagering this is actually the time to buy trump stock right now and what i mean by that is it's not a prediction that i think he's going to win the election 
Um, it's just simply an analysis of markets that a sitting president's value, unless he's facing a, you know, a Watergate type of a personal scandal. Okay. A, a sitting president's value can't go any lower than it is right now. This is the time to buy. Doesn't mean it'll pay off, but the value, the odds that you're going to get in exchange, this would be the time to kind of move to say, hey, this thing can't go any lower than it is right now. I mean, the next the, the next step lower for him is he's LBJ resigning in the summer. That's the next step. It can't get any lower than this. So now I now is the time to actually be investing in Trump reelect stock because the odds are ever in your favor. It doesn't mean he's going to be the Washington Nationals that I got at 23 to 1 to win the World Series last year and that ticket paid off. But it, you know why I got him at 23 to 1? Because they started 11 and 19. So that was the time to buy, right? Sure. Because you knew. You looked at that staff where, you know, Steven Strasburg's your number two starter. A guy that was arguably, you know, a, a top four left-handed starter in Major League Baseball was the number three starter. That's really a 19 and 11 staff, not an 11 yes, and 19. Yes, you, yeah. you know that team is not, is not finishing with a 440 win percentage or whatever it was they, they had at the time, okay? Um, they're just not. If they all stay healthy, there's regression to the mean, but there's progression to the mean as well. These things are going to begin, begin to turn around, right? Yes. And so that was the time to buy. Did I really think a 23 to 1 ticket on the Washington Nationals was going to pay off? No, I didn't. It's 23 to 1 for a reason. But did I think it was worth my time to buy a team that good at 23 to 1? Hell yeah. And then it ended up working out. And even the way that they won the thing, right? No no home wins in the World Series. They, they actually had to come from behind 3 to 1 in one and 2 series to come back and win. It was an improbable run that they even pulled this thing off. But those things happen when you are a team as good as they were that started as bad as they did. Things have a tendency to even out one way or the other over the course of a long campaign, right? Mm -hmm. Same things that play here with Trump. This is actually the time to buy the stock right now. Buy it now. Before he gives a convention speech, before Biden attempts to give one, who knows what the hell he'll say. I mean, today... Yesterday it was, hey, uh, uh, black anchor, um, are you on cocaine? Are you a junkie man? And today it was, well, we all know that there's no diversity whatsoever in the black community, but there's a lot of it among Hispanics. He literally just said that, all right? So before anybody, before Joe Biden um, has you running to hide the aluminum from grandpa, and before Trump gives you one of those moments like he's really good at reading other people's words off a teleprompter. Those are his most inspiring moments. We've seen those at joint sessions of Congress, right? Okay. Before those two, one of those two things is likely to happen, if not both, in the next couple of weeks, which will draw the odds closer right now. Right now is the time to go. That's what you're doing right now, isn't it, Aaron? You are right now on some political handicapping. I know what you're Absolutely. doing. I knew you were. I knew you were. I knew you were. What are the odds? Right now's the time to buy, because the stock can only go up. Doesn't mean it won't. It, it will go up as far as it needs to be on in 88 days from now. Doesn't mean that, but it can only go up. It can only go up. So now's the time to buy. Which of those two surrogates in those video clips that Aaron just showed you, Mike Pence or Christine O? Which of those two are more likely to improve your odds? Maybe it won't be very much. But, but to me, what's debatable is, is how much Christy Nome would improve Donald Trump's stock. We could debate that.
What is not debatable is that she has a better chance of improving whatever that improvement is than Mike Pence. Well, you know, that's just a reminder. So here's why that matters. That messaging matters. Okay. So John Roberts trending today on Twitter. Okay. So, so Mike Pence is Mike Pence already racist, misogynistic, homophobic, xenophobic, bigot, right? Already. Of right? course. Of course. Okay. So he's already, already max lit the other side, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. What's he done for his voters in that clip? What does he offer them? If you're, if, if you're a Trump voter and you want to be, if you're already a Trump voter and you want to be fired up, or you're willing to be and you'd like to be sold. Because there needs to be, when we have a duopoly like we have right now, there's only two real political parties, right? So we have a duopoly. There has to be a reverb effect. If, if you're going to lay out there and, and galvanize the other side with your commentary, then it has to galvanize your side in a positive trajectory at the same time. Otherwise, that's an L, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're literally scoring points for the other side. In your sport, they call these, what, own goals, right? Sure. You just turned around and shot it into your own you. goal. Nice job. All right, it's the beautiful game. All right, so. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> you know what? Talking about Mike Pence... Does this to a man? Does this to a man. Yes. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Um, sorry, honey, I've got a headache. No, um, so Mike Pence out there, I mean, uh, he's violated the Constitution. It's just terrible. He's been a betrayal to the conservatives. So, of course, the messaging is that the role of the chief justice from the other side is to satiate right-wing hate, uh, racist, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's the way they're going to interpret those comments, right? Okay. And then he finishes with, well, I mean, just a, a reminder, you know, do better. So then your side is galvanized is the, you know, this is where we're violating the laws of political physics for every action. There should be an opposite and equal reaction, right? If you don't get that, if my side doesn't come away, hell yeah. All right. While the other side's saying, hell no. And all we hear is just the other side say, hell no. While your side's like, oh, all you did was turn right around and kick the ball into the, in your own goal, right? Yes. Right. Now contrast that, is that. Did you get a charge out of that? No. No? No? No. No. Meanwhile, you have Christy Nome. And yeah, folks, I hate to tell you. And it's frankly one of my handicaps. Looks matter. We're in a visual medium here, Right. There's a reason they sell so much makeup all the time, okay? So, but, but if she was dumb and hot, would it matter? No. But the fact in that smoke show package that she then says what she says, the way that she says it with the command of that forum, right? Yes. Don't tell me there's not a marked difference there, man. Oh, this needed to be done yesterday absolutely needed to be done yesterday for listen, you put her and you, you can't you you don't wait you putting this out there makes all of the uh hiding that biden is doing uh deeply problematic you don't he can't hide in the basement he's gonna have to come out i don't think you also want to do this as a reaction uh to whoever they pick as the vice president you want to go on offense you grab the stage they will be hysterical about it they will try to sarah palin her and as long as she's not sarah palin i i just think the positives are 
overwhelming it makes them look like don't we want we talk about the um supreme court what happens if somebody dies and they mm-hmm. put forward um uh, now her name is escaping me the um catholic woman whose name escapes me it too. would yeah. make them go not this in the same exact way it needed to be done yesterday we know on policy Trump is just not going to step up in a way in this very short period of time of as a game changer. I can't think of a serious thing he could do to quote the great Steve Dace. It's her and then space bar, space bar, space bar. And quite frankly, if Pence has any interest in running for president one day, I can't remember how old he is. And so he would be it would behoove him to get out now kind of like with um nikki haley getting out preserve your if he hangs on for four more years there's no way he becomes president of the united states if trump wins here's the other thing that it helps you with at the same time she has successfully navigated the virus she's a governor she's made decisions she's had to run a state she's had to run a state that is heavy with ag and meatpacking plants where we were, which next to nursing homes, meatpacking plants were the biggest sources of outbreak in America in this part of the country, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So, so she has had to navigate all of this. She's had to face all of these questions already. Who, who was given directorship of the coronavirus task force that has wrecked America? That coronavirus task force wrecked America, paralyzed this presidency, is still bewitching us with Fauci and Burks and their voodoo and flat earth, whatever junk science, scientism they're peddling today. All right. And now it's bedazzle your face guard. Okay. Who's, who was given direction of that? Mike Pence. Mike Pence was. I should not have to... Uh, for months, I had to I had to beg Donald Trump to take credit. We flatten the curve. We save the hospital system back to normal, and we're going to protect the uh, the vulnerable. Right? Never thought I'd ever have to beg Donald Trump to take credit for something. Now I'm going to beg Donald Trump to deflect blame. That's where we are. I'm have to sit here on August sixth, begging Donald Trump to pass the buck and deflect blame. Mr. Hey, I file strategic bankruptcies. Remember that line in the in the GOP primary debates four years ago? Deflect the blame. Throw Mike Pence under the bus. Adds nothing. Come from a state you're already going to win. Represents a base of people, white evangelicals that already love you. Adds nothing. Nothing at all. And he bores people to tears. In this Kick guy. him to the curb. Throw him under the bus. All right? Put the whole coronavirus task force on him. Deflect the whole thing to him. His name was on it anyway. It's an unmitigated disaster. Hit the coronavirus task force. Remember they had the reopening task force that they had? How many meetings did that group ever have? I'm guessing the answer is really a low number. Okay. Dude, so, I totally forgot that that was actually yeah, a thing. That was a thing for a little bit longer than George W. Bush was going to try privatizing Social Security back in the day. Remember that one? That was about five minutes is how long that thing lasted. Okay. No, that, that, the, the task force is a terrible idea. Throw Mike Pence under the bus. Like, you know, and it, like universally, he doesn't deserve it for what he did to religious freedom in his own state anyway. All right. So we'll just call it karma. All right. You reap what you sow. Throw him under the bus. Bring in somebody who's actually navigated this successfully. And oh, by the way, is a woman. Oh, by the way, is a mom with kids. Oh, by the way, is well-spoken, has already shared a national stage with you over the 4th of July. Right. Right. In front of the entire country. So she's not coming out of left field. You already gave her a national platform. And then 
And now this is when this matters. We got to check all these other boxes first. She has to be good at her job. She has to have command of the material, right? Has to. Once we check all those boxes of merit, then you get the added bonus of total smoke show at the exact same time. Tell me what I'm missing here, why this isn't the biggest friggin' no-brainer of 2020. The only thing in a year where brains, where we've had Wuhan for brains all year long, this one seems kindergarten simple to me. Yeah, but we're probably just talking about something that's not going to happen. You're, I meant what I said. There's, I, Is there anything close that he could do? And I mean, even on the policy that we like at this point, if he, there's just not enough time on policy now. He, he, he could certainly, I think what's we, the clip we had of Steve, Steve Hilton the other day. He, he could certainly be articulating an alternative vision for the country. He's not doing that right now. And so we're, we're, we're at the same time, we're back to what we just said about what Pence just did. Inflame the other side, get no side benefit from your own, okay? So, it's, so you just get all the blowback and then none of the, none of the boost. Well, he's getting the same thing Trump is right now, where he's getting all the blowback yeah. for you're in charge when, when there's rioting in the streets. You're in charge when uh, black lives don't matter. You're in charge when George Floyd gets killed. You're in charge when, when the Chinese bring a virus here. So he gets all of that yeah. blame, but without articulating another, an alternative vision. Hey, if I'm reelected, we're going to do blank, 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 blank. And you know we're going to do it based on what I did before the virus hit. He's getting no, he's just taking body blows and not and not delivering yeah, of, any. Of course you're right in theory about the vision, but look at what Aaron just showed about him debating with himself. There's not, not only is there not enough time, there's just not enough there there for him to do it. You put her out there and you make the left lose their mind and crucify yes. a woman in broad daylight for the next two and a half months. Yeah, yeah. And she's not Sarah Palin, who obviously got a bad rap. Okay, but but she has she has stood up to this virus. She's had to manage this thing in her own. She has had to govern. She's had to make these decisions. So so she has faced on a, on a microcosm in real time what the what what the president has had to face. So this isn't, you know, she's not speaking out of school. This isn't theoretical to her. She knows this data. She knows it. She's done these decisions already. She's prepared for this. She's far more prepared for this than Joe Biden is, who was part in an, part of an administration where they stopped testing for H1N1 when they got to 60 million cases. Okay, they got to 60 million cases of H1N1 and just stopped testing because they didn't want to start a panic. Straight up, that's what the Obama regime did. And has, has had the luxury of just critiquing, when he can get a sentence out, critiquing the president's decisions without navigating any of their own. In this case, this woman has done this. She's run a state while this is going on. It, it just seems like it's an absolute no-brainer to me. I, I, I mean, I, and here's the other thing too about what Pence said. John Roberts doesn't care, man. You know, I saw one conservative journalist who I respect. White House threatens legal action over mail-in voting. I can see the left now. Ooh. Oh, no. Oh, no. Not please. 
Not the dreaded legal action again. Oh, whatever will we do? I know what we'll do. Own the effing courts, and then we will have your GOP-appointed Chief Justice F you right in the backside all the way at the Supreme Court. And then you'll bow the knee and genuflect to it because the court has spoken. That's what we're going to do. Right? Mm -hmm. That's what we're going to do. You know, when Lincoln thought the Chief Justice was a toad, he issued an Emancipation Proclamation. You know, those 56 guys just got together in Philly and said, I got an idea. We haven't tried this one yet. Why don't we just send King George III a, a sternly worded letter and tell him he basically betrayed these British loyalists here in the American colonies. I mean, seriously, man. Can you get more effeminate? Can you get wimpier than that? Jeff Sessions, uh, you know, that's hurtful called and said, dude, (laughs) can you have half a ball? Half a ball. Well, you know, I'm just saying, you know, get out. We're losing our country. And you're like, and Mike Pence is like, well, you know, I'm just saying, get out. Get out of here with that crap, man. Honestly, get the bleep out. Seriously. We got half the school districts in this country want to want to want to create an Orwellian nightmare if you can even go back to school. And you're coming out with the, well, you know, I just just wanted to say some things. Just want to get some things off my chest. Mazirano's out there saying, hey, nobody uh, gaslighting and nobody wants to uh, defund the police. And uh, I'm going to run out of the Antifa hearing so I don't have to actually see any of the rioting on camera because I've been denying it this whole time. Mike Pence's response. Well, you know, it's disappointing. You know, honestly, I mean, seriously, just get the bleep out. I'm just I'm so tired of this. If you're going into the real estate market right now, first of all, that can be a stressful process if you're buying a home, selling a home, uh, buying on one end and selling on the other. Uh, that's a stressful process, even if we have the economy that we had uh, until about six months ago. Uh, but uh, in, in these uncertain times, it's especially important that you go in with a real estate agent that you can trust. All right. Because you can go to their websites. No one's going to say, hey, man, market's tight. If, if I don't see your home moving in a couple of weeks, I'm probably going to focus on some other properties I've got in my portfolio that I think I have a better chance to get a commission off of. They're not just going to put that on their website. They're not just going to tell you on their website, hey, my marketing plan is we're just going to keep having open houses that you immaculately clean your house for every Sunday and three people show up to forever. <laughs> They're not going to say stuff like that. But there are plenty of horror stories of getting into the real estate market with an agent like that. So where do you find an agent that you can trust? Name kind of says it all. Go to the website, realestateagentsitrust.com. No one around the entire country is listed there until they've been uh, vetted with a proven track record of success. It's important. If you're going in, have an agent that's going all in with you at realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. It's a must-follow Twitter account, which I just realized I wasn't following because it gets tweeted so many times in my feed that I'd never bothered to click follow. So 
I will practice what I preach right now. It is a must-follow Twitter account if you have been wanting to keep up to date on uh, the latest research going on with coronavirus. At uh, Kerpen is the name of the Twitter account. K-E-R-P-E-N, at Kerpen. And that is for Phil Kerpen. Um, he joins us now here uh, on the Steve Day Show on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. It's good to see you again, Phil. How are you? I'm all right, Steve. How are you? I'm doing well. I want to st- start with uh, the trends we're seeing in the Sunbelt states right now. You had a series of tweets, a thread that you put out. I think this was on Wednesday night or Tuesday night, uh, looking at where the trend line is in uh, Arizona, Texas, Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee. You know, the Sunbelt states that the media is convincing us are Italy, our Lombardy Italy, and, and far more hell on earth than New York City and New York ever was. But your trend line on emergency visits for COVID symptoms and and why why that's a that's a herald is because that's where most hospitalizations begin for something as serious as COVID nineteen is you would begin with an ER visit with the symptoms right that that you can't m- mitigate on your own at home so that's why you've gone to the ER and you had a a, a, ch- a series of charts on where these ER visits with these COVID symptoms are in these Sun Belt states can you give our audience kind of the the summary of that Phil. Yeah, absolutely. This is a really interesting statistic. Uh, the CDC recently added this to their website with almost every state, not every. Actually, they don't have Texas. The Texas lists its own on its state dashboard. Uh, but it, the, the percentage of emergency department visits that have COVID-like symptoms or have well, COVID-like illness. So that includes if they actually get a COVID diagnosis, but, but it often also includes if they're just suspected or possible COVID because they've got, say, shortness of breath and cough and lack of taste and smell. You know the list of symptoms. And this is really the best leading indicator. This is a much, much better predictor of deaths two weeks later than case numbers are we've seen. Uh, It's been a pretty consistent predictor. And the trends are really, really good. We've seen a crash uh, in almost all of these states. The one possible exception is Mississippi, which has had a couple of updates. So that bears some watching. But uh, almost every other state you mentioned is in a very sharp downward trend going down every single day and at the lowest levels they've seen since mid-June in basically all of those states. The timing of mid-June I find interesting because in a lot of those states, what was going on in mid-June, Phil? Uh, was that protests? I yeah. don't know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they started, yeah, up, I mean, they started I, out where you live up there, okay, and worked their way down. But about mid-June is when we started seeing a lot of these protests around the country. And I don't know, you know, I, 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 you and I have done a lot of research on this. A lot of studies are very doubtful of this of the of the threat of outdoor transmission right we haven't we haven't you know the the, the asian countries found and, and some of them 80 percent of the infections there were uh, were within the actual household okay so who knows how much um outdoor transmission is an issue although we are talking but about see, a uni- where are all those people going to the bathroom exactly that's right that's the question you yeah. have outdoor events but they are inherently indoor parts of even outdoor events right and and since these are spontaneous and sporadic events, it's not like you know uh, you've had the civil engineers uh, s- social distancing the porta potties, disinfecting surfaces, and offering hand sanitizer. I mean, this is these are marauding you know mobs, frankly. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, that from a timing standpoint, that 
could be part of the explanation, unlike the claim that it's related to reopening, which the timeline really doesn't work for. But I also think if you just kind of look globally at what's been happening, uh, this disease started at sort of the high northern latitudes, and it, it started in Europe and in the northern U.S., and it sort of has been moving south around the world sort of simultaneously. And so I think there's a seasonal factor here that has much less to do uh, with our behaviors and our policies than we like to. We like to think that we control everything. Uh, but when the southern U.S. is sort of lighting up the same time that Mexico is, and uh, then you have Hong Kong and Hawaii light up at exactly the same time at a little bit lower latitude, uh, I think that there are some larger factors at play that we don't even necessarily understand. That's just my, my hunch. Well, if, if, if it is... If it is latitudinal, as you just described, and we are on the downside now of the spike that we saw in those in those southern states, then just based, you know, give me some data analysis on your own research. Then if you're starting with that as a premise, when we're done on the backside of this current spike in those in those Sunbelt states, where does the virus go from here then? Uh well, I mean, Hawaii would be the sort of last place in the U.S. if it's traveling north to south. And so that would be kind of the next thing to worry about from that standpoint. Uh, I think there's a, you know, yeah, I don't think it's purely seasonal, though. And I think we, we definitely have some states that sort of missed it and haven't had any significant outbreaks yet. And they would be at risk uh, because they don't really have any resistance in their population yet. And so you could potentially see some other states sort of sort of crop up. Uh, but I think that we're unlikely to see another major wave this year. Now, it may come back again. It may be an annual recurring seasonal pattern. And that's, of course, going to be a big concern and sort of a, a wait and see kind of thing. But uh, my, my hope and my expectation is that after the southern wave is over, we are, we are not going to have another major wave again this year. One other thing on this front. Do you see any evidence that this could burn out at the end of this month as the first SARS did. By the end of August, the first SARS essentially, now this version is clearly more infectious and more lethal than that one was, but um, it, it's still from the same family of virus. It's still a respiratory virus. We're still in the deed of summer. Traditionally, respiratory viruses in, in, in summertime don't go, you know, uh, arm in arm, hand in hand. That's why we send our elderly with respiratory issues to Florida, Arizona, and Texas to retire, right? So um, is it possible that we could see uh, history repeat itself? Do you see anything in your, in your research that indicates at the end of this month, we could be looking at a situation dramatically different from where we started? Uh, the month of July? Well, I think it's possible. Look, I think it's possible that it's basically non-existent in a lot of these places in Europe and in the northern U.S. And the, uh, the so-called cases that we've seen may entirely a testing artifact. You know, one of the mysteries of this whole thing is we've had no validation of these tests. We have no idea what the false positive rates are. And so as you ramp up and you do thousands and thousands and thousands positive how many of those are false positives? It mm -hmm. might be zero prevalence or places, but we just don't know it because of the uh, errors. And so, I, you know, I think it's possible it could disappear completely. The, the disturbing thing to think about, though, Steve, is what if it disappears completely, but we think it's still here because we keep running huge numbers of tests and the false positive rate makes us keep finding cases. Hmm. That's a good point, too. Let's get to the schools, because I know you have dug in deep on this particular issue and what's going on and the battle with the teacher unions. Give us the elevator pitch. What's the data? It, 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 how many children can we document 
about 20 countries worldwide at some point have already sent their country the kids back to school during this pandemic how many in the, how many cases in those countries can we document of transmission from a student to a teacher right because that's because because no one's arguing no one's arguing that uh, this that, that 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 the students at this point aren't safer than the adults very few are the, now the new worry is well it's going to be asymptomatic the students will have it and then they'll give it to their elderly teachers right so how many of those cases can we document in any of these other countries that have sent their kids back to school well, according to uh, UK government advisor Mark Wolhouse, who's a professor at the University of Edinburgh, the uh, total number of confirmed instances of transmission from a uh, pupil to their teacher is zero. They've not found a single one, and they reviewed basically all of the published studies from all over the world uh, in the UK to come to that conclusion. Uh, we have had a few instances of children infecting their parents, but even that is extremely rare. So for instance, in Iceland, which has the most extensive testing and the most useful testing of any country because they actually do uh, haplotyping, which say they look at the sequence, the genetic sequence of the virus so they can determine direction of transmission and know definitively who infected whom. Uh, in the country of Iceland, they found two total instances of a child infecting a parent. Um, they found many, many instances of the opposite. So almost everywhere in the world we've seen a transmission is possible from adults to children. But as you pointed out, children do very, very well with this disease. The head of the CDC says your child's chance of dying from this disease is about one in a million. Uh, deaths from flu are five to ten times more likely for uh, school-aid children. Uh, that's for school-age, one in a million. It's a little bit higher for less than school-age. Uh, every disease is more dangerous for infants less than one than for older children. You get through that first year and you're, you're uh you're likely to handle almost any illness uh, better. So, but school-age children, chances about one in a million. So, it, children are very uh, unlikely to get any serious illness, and they're very unlikely to transmit. Now, there have been a couple of recent studies, one from Chicago and one from Italy, that the media has tried to use to stoke panic about the idea that children may be uh, highly infectious. Those studies, though, uh, first of all, they were very, very small. They were like 14 kids in the Italy one, and maybe 20 and something in the Chicago one. Um, they specifically excluded asymptomatic children. And they, they uh, used the rarest of rarities, highly symptomatic children, highly sick children who were uh, hospitalized, which almost never occurs. And they found those children are infectious. Now, if a child has an extremely rare case of a serious illness with this, yeah, they're probably going to be infectious. But those are also the easiest by far to identify and to isolate and to prevent having contact with anyone else. So I think those studies have been really misrepresented to frighten people. Uh, the same way the New York Times did with the Korean government report that they tried to say, uh, said that children were highly infectious. And then you look at the report and it said in 97% of households with the virus, an adult brought it into the household. And the top pediatric COVID researcher in the world, Alice Dermont, Monroe said, even though the government report didn't mention it, he's seen the data set. And in the other 3% of cases, the initial exposure was a shared exposure hmm. with the child and parent being exposed at the same time in the initial uh, exposure outside the home. So it's extremely rare uh, for children to infect anyone else. It, it can happen. You know, I'm not going to say we have those two cases in Iceland of a child infecting a parent, which means it could happen. We might somewhere see a child infecting a teacher. But, you know, if we do see that and we see the first confirmed case of that, that won't mean it's common. It'll just mean we finally have seen an extremely extremely rare event uh, it doesn't mean that it's something we need to be overly concerned about i've got about uh, two minutes here phil is there is there any 
argument that these leftist teacher unions are making because I, I just think the whole thing's political because they know that school kids returning to school is is the linchpin of an in, of, of a country or a state or a community reopening that has to happen right and so if your team locked down in an election and these teacher unions are highly highly politicized in fact maybe com- comprehensively so and so I just think this is just a political operation and the teacher unions are acting as a proxy for the Biden campaign basically to try to keep the, the country shut down that being said though um, let's not make a straw man out of them. Do they have any arguments that you find compelling at all? Uh, not really. Look, I mean, there are some teachers, certainly like there are people in any <clears throat> profession who might be at higher risk, who might have you know multiple serious comorbidities over the age of 65, things like that. Uh, people in those circumstances probably should be accommodated, but it's not a common circumstance for teachers, certainly who actually are younger than the overall workforce. And it's not unique to teaching. Teaching may be one of the safest professions out there because you have so little contact with other adults who are likely to be infectious compared to any other workplace. And um, one of the ironies of this whole thing, which I do think is politically motivated, is is we have a few studies now that show that common cold exposure may be protected against COVID, and specifically that adults who spend a lot of time around small children may be less likely to get COVID because they have more exposures to common cold. So they may actually be hurting themselves health-wise by going on strike. It is definitely a, a Twitter account you want to follow. At Kerpen, K-E-R-P-E-N. Phil Kerpen, great work, has been doing great work uh, for months now on the virus. And I just realized before we brought you on, I haven't been following you this whole time because you're showing up in my Twitter feed so often. I thought I was. All right. So, Phil, great stuff, man. For all, Appreciate all of your work. Uh, uh, you know, keep pressing on, man. We appreciate it. All right. God bless. All right. Have a good one. All right. You too. Gentlemen, thoughts on that conversation? It would be enough if it was just Hill's Twitter, his Twitter account. There's countless Twitter accounts just like his. We have the data. We have countries that have gone forward in multiple. We talk Sweden about Sweden all the time, but it seems countries in Europe, countries in the east, far east, have had their kids in school. And we talk about having how it's better to have all the social media we have, all the conservative outlets in many ways, because we don't have to rely on just the regular media to get the word out but mm-hmm. here we are I, I, we're still not getting the word out the, f- the fact that we are dealing on any level with school shutdowns let alone all the other stuff is preposterous They're considering the obviousness of the case against the teachers unions and the clear political nature of their gambit it, it is ridiculous that we we are sitting here in august Still having any question about opening schools. It's absurd. How about that line that he had from uh, the UK, one of the, the leading infectious disease researcher in the UK? said, I, I, we looked at every single study in the world and couldn't come up with one, so far, one single documented case of children vectoring the virus to the teachers. We couldn't come up with a single one so far. Two plus two equals five, though, Steve. I'm reading something right now over the last two minutes. That's going to make you really mad. You ready for this? Why not? BuzzFeed News just published. This was published on July 24th. How did we how did we miss that? This was published on July 24th. I know. I saw it. John Ioannidis back in March. John P.A., Dr. John P.A. Ioannidis. Stanford epidemiologist who wrote in Stat News back in mid-March, warning against the lockdowns. 
They have screen captures thanks to FOIA requests, Freedom of Information Act requests. He and an elite team of scientists and epidemiologists, he himself personally tried to set up a meeting with the White House to warn them about lockdowns, and it never happened. We might not have our two. We're back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. If you are a podcast listener, please, if you haven't done so already, smash that subscribe button for us. Uh, keep giving us those five-star reviews. Thank you to all of you that have done that for us already. I'm told it helps the show to grow, and, and I don't know how. I'm just going to take that on faith. 888-900-3393 is the number. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the uh, program. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show, at Parlor at Steve Dace, and then our new YouTube page, youtube.com slash Steve Dace. Let's get to some Theology Thursday. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, we'll do three non-political questions, but Theology Thursday is brought to you today by Keeps. Have you noticed your hair? Maybe not looking quite as full as it used to and yeah of course going bald is no fun so let's talk about options you can go to your doctor for a hair loss treatment prescription then visit the pharmacy and try not to go broke to avoid getting that prescription filled or you can just try keeps from the comfort of your own home where you're going to get the same doctor recommended fda approved hair loss treatment but this uh this would be the generic version so you're going to save a ton of money like maybe up to half of the cost and one more thing you're going to love about keeps is that it's all online so you just answer a few questions snap a few pics of your hair and a licensed doctor will review your info and recommend the right hair loss treatment for you and then that is shipped right directly to your door so what are you waiting for especially when we're going to give you a special offer to get you started so not only are you saving a bunch of money off the top anyway with the generic versions but how about another 50 percent off your first order just to get you going at keeps.com slash grow that's k-e-e-p-s for keeps.com slash grow so we're going to tackle a question for theology thursday that that we have already gone into on this program uh, frankly a few times in the in recent times but i am still getting asked a variation of this question a lot so clearly we need to kind of maybe park it here and and our show may be uniquely qualified to answer this because there there's some areas of theology well actually there's there's many areas of theology I should say where we get asked to give a definitive take and you know our official position on some of these things as a show is we're learned laymen all right, meaning that we're well we're we're well read, well researched, but we're laymen. We we are not holders of a particular apostolic or um, bishop or uh, ministerial ecclesiastical authority. We're not Faustian. Yes. Did you say Faustian? I'm sorry. Is this on? I'm sorry. Um, like three people got that joke. And they're all laughing right now. And the rest of us are like, what does that mean? But um, we're, we're learned laymen here. So we, we're giving you opinion, right? We're not giving you 
the, even the, the vast majority of theological topics we're tackling here, we're giving you our opinion and perspective on it as laymen. But it, but it shouldn't be declared authoritative because we're not authorities. We're just, we're just dudes with a platform who love theology and like talking about it. And of course, we have opinions on these things. We hope that our opinions line up as, as best as they can with orthodoxy, but I'm not a pastor. Todd isn't a bishop. Aaron doesn't have an apostolic calling, at least as far as I know. Um, and so we're, we're doing more come now and reason together, right? Most of the time when we have these conversations, that's another way that we avoid arguments where we disagree is we begin from the premise of acknowledging nobody in this studio sitting here has real any really any authority to offend anyone with their views because their views aren't authoritative. <laughs> They're just our views. Right. Right. Fair. This is my most fascinating of all the Dacian explainers because it's so inherently Catholic. You're appealing to authority. Honestly, I'm over here, and I like. I, I always like Steve. Why are you? About, you know more than about theology than most pastors and priests that I know. I'm like, why are you even wasting the time? Uh, which is a very Protestant. Just open your Bible and read it. Uh, I'm always fascinated when you give this explainer. That's sad, by the way, what you just said, because I think many in the audience have a perception that I just spend a good deal of my spare time pouring through the scriptures. You know, I've, I've mentioned this before. They gave the great John Wesley. He had a nickname, the founder of the Methodist Church, you know, when it believed in the Bible. Um, he, they gave him a nickname that was a put down in seminary. They called him a Bible moth. Even the other seminarians were like, dude, seriously, get a life. OK, I think our audience probably a lot of them think that in my spare time, I'm just like pouring through, you know, and uh, the original Greek manuscripts and uh, and I'm not. You've read it multiple times. Yeah. You're passionate about it. And three, you have a photographic memory pretty yeah. much. So that's why it yeah. seems like that. Yeah, but I have to go back and look things up sure. and stuff all the time. I, I mean, I I go through seasons in my life, you know? So there are seasons in my life where I'm like all in. And then there's other seasons in my life. I'm like, you know, I've, I'm kind of up to date, you know, and I'm studying other things, right? But I'm, I'm not a Bible moth. I, I mean, I love it. You know, but I'm not like pouring through it in all of my spare time all of the time. Like my kids don't like see me reading a Bible every day and stuff like that. Okay. I'm just a regular guy, you know, um, just happens to have a platform. That's it. Really? So we don't have official places of authority within the church. We don't have, nobody here has any ecclesiastical authority or has been given a specific ecclesiastical calling. We, we want to see our show used as a vehicle to have these conversations because the number one goal I have for this show is to make a biblical worldview mainstream in America. And I, and I want to do that specifically because I'm, I don't have the authority because I trust the authority of the Bible on its own. I'm, I'm fine. Let's just let the lion out of the cage, man, as you know, Spurgeon once said. It'll defend itself just fine. Just let it out of the cage. That's all we're trying to do here. We're trying to let the lion out of the cage. This, though, is one particular topic that I think we can speak with some authority because it's right in the wheelhouse of where we're parked as a program. And it's the intersection between the transcendent authority and 
truths and integrity found in the word of God with the temporal struggle for the future of the direction of this country. And I, I don't know of another program on a mainstream platform that more intentionally attempts to navigate that path on a daily basis because it's the filter by which we see everything that we analyze on the show. So this is going to be one of the rare times that I do think we're speaking authoritatively. Not again, though, because we have been given any ecclesiastical authority, but because of where where, we're, where God's put us as a program, that is individuals on this show, that, that we spend a good deal of our time negotiating and navigating the question we're about to answer. And it comes from Jennifer Wallman, and she writes... What do you say to a fellow believer who basically thinks you can't stand up for American freedoms and be a citizen of heaven at the same time? You shouldn't refuse to follow a government's unconstitutional mandate, not to mention junk science, because it's not showing love to your neighbor who thinks the government is right. The first thing I would say to them is, are you Amish? Are you Anabaptist? Or are you Mennonite? And if the answer is no, then I would say you then don't even believe that yourself. Or if I was speaking to an exclusive Catholic audience, I would say, because all the, the sects I just mentioned are all Protestant. I would, if I was speaking to your peeps, I would say, do you belong to a convent? Do you live in a monastery? Have you renounced attachments to this world? And if the answer is no, then I would also say to them, if they were Catholic, you don't believe that then. You're not any different than... The young person who wants to virtue signal and pontificate on the plight of the Native American, but would never give up the Wi-Fi on their phone for wampum in a, in a million years. Wants to live by all the accoutrements of Western civilization's conquering of Native American culture. You don't really believe that then. You don't believe it. To me, I think you have to, you have to start by convincing me. If you want to bring me a, a, a challenging question that, that, that wants to challenge the premise of how I live out my belief system. You have to show me you're willing to live out yours. Right? Mm-hmm. If you're not willing to live out yours, then what's the point of this conversation? So, shortly after the Protestant Reformation, there were debates about this question. If you go back to the what happened in Germany, Luther was abhorred that there was a group of populists that basically used his reformen, refor, re, reformation uh, to incite insurrection against the crown. And so there were plenty of questions during the Protestant Reformation. Hey, if we democratize the scriptures... You know, people are going to take this to mean we're democratizing kind of everything else, right? Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, after all, if I don't have to bow to a pope, why am I? And he's the highest authority. And, and if we're saying that the pontiff is not the vicar of Christ, then then if, if the pontiff isn't the vicar of Christ, then King so-and-so doesn't have a divine right to rule, right? Mm-hmm. We're just going to do the math. You know, it's funny. In, in those eras, they were concerned about if people took their assertions to their most logical conclusion. <laughs> In our era, we want to pretend we don't have to. 
<laughs> in our era, we want to pretend that we can like um, go a little bit down the road that we want to go down, and then hit the and then put it in the emergency or the parking brake and just stay there and never have to follow this thing. Gravity never gravity doesn't happen here. We can just stop here. There's no slippery slopes. We never get to the end of 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 of, of, of the hill. We never get to the bottom of We're the. We're not ravine. really talking about that, Steve. Right? Yes, I mean, you've yes. heard that a hundred times. Yes. In, your- in the other eras, they were afraid of the that the slippery slope would reach its conclusion. In our era, we pretend as if it does not even exist. We've transgendered the slippery slope. It's not a slippery slope. Okay. And so there were concerns amongst the amongst the reformers about what this would mean. Primarily because the church was the centralized governing structure of the culture. And so if we removed it, if we said that it doesn't have the authority over the word of God, but that the word of God has the authority over it, then why wouldn't the word of God have the authority over everything mm-hmm. else? Well, this is also the flip side, and I'm only bringing this because you've mentioned it a couple times in the mm-hmm. last couple of weeks. This is the flip side of Galileo. Right. Galileo was ultimately right about the science, but he had a personality that instantly started shoving that down everyone's throat, and the church rightly said, it's a little bit bigger than that, and, and, and individuals handled that rightly, handled that wrong. But said, "What does this mean?" In because we used to, the, the church used to be, uh, theology used to be the mother of all the sciences, and so mm-hmm. it was a very holistic worldview, and uh, we, we needed to consider. It, it, it speaks to exactly what you're saying. We needed to consider every facet of what road this was taking us down. It, it gets the line in The Dark Knight when Alfred says to Bruce Wayne, what did you think would happen when you began to push back on these people? Mm-hmm. Did you consider what the ramifications were going to be? They, they wouldn't just, I guess we're going to stop dealing coke now. Batman showed up. No, they were going to realize, hey, the, the stakes have been raised. The ante has been upped. We have to, this guy is playing at a different level. He's next level. We got to, you know, we got to Unlock user achievement supervillain in order to reach to, to defend ourselves against him, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's always going to be a trade off. What are the ramifications of these things? So I want to start there. If you have someone that is a believer that is telling you these things, if they go to your Baptist church, to your EV free church, to your Catholic church, to your Lutheran church, they don't believe it. Call BS right away. They don't believe that. They don't. Because if they did, they'd be going to the Mennonite church, the Quaker church, and the Anabaptist church, or in the Catholic case, they'd be at a convent or a monastery. They don't believe it. That's a cop out. That needs to be. St- By the way, that doesn't mean this is not a legitimate debate. We're going to have a legitimate debate about this in just a second. But we have to flesh out false objections, okay? The, the freedom we have in America gives us permission to just we think anyway, gives us permission to just say things we don't mean all of the time. And then we just give you the Nina Cherry Buffalo stance and you're like, well, you can't come back at me. Racist. Okay. Uh, Pharisee. Okay. Try that on someone who actually has more sympathy as a person than me. Because I don't have much. So none of that stuff, that got beat out of me when I was in the ninth grade. So um, none of that stuff works on me. Um, So... That's great. Appreciate your name calling. Anyway, back to your BS. Uh, Show me you believe this. So I would say to you, if you got somebody coming up to you at mass, well, first of all, you guys even going back yet? I forgot to ask. Is your your parish still closed? 
No, it is open. Okay, it's open. With so, if so, all so kinds of somebody walks up to you at at, at 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 your parish this Sunday, I would I would say to you, hey, you should tell them when when you when you ask me to come and 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 discuss this with you at the convent or the monastery, then I will entertain your argument. Until then, you don't even believe in your own argument because you want full immersion into American culture. But you just want it at a cost that doesn't cost you anything, right? Mm -hmm. And then I would say if you go to a Protestant church, unless this is, you know, the Mennonite folks that are that came around town because they're trying to sell the grain that they, uh, the cornmeal uh, that they, you know, pressed and grained out themselves, um, then they don't believe it. They just don't want to have to take a stand on anything. This is a cover. They don't. It's it's a virtue signal. Ultimately, you have to show. In, in in Christianity, you have to show, you show your faith by a consistency of your actions. I mean, why do you call me Lord if you do not do what I say, right? Mm-hmm. That, that you show you believe this by seeking as best you can to live it. So if you really believe that there's no place for us to take a stand for our freedoms as Americans then cool there there is a school of thought they were called the anabaptists that emerged after the reformation there is a school of thought that says we have to divorce ourselves from the world in order to not get our faith entangled in all of these you know pursuits okay enjoy being amish turning your cell phones satellite dishes and internal combustion engines. Have a nice life. And if you're willing to do that, then we'll talk. Fair? Yes. I think that's fair. I don't think it's too much to ask that the people that want to impose a standard on you are living that standard themselves first. Now, that doesn't mean, with that, with that said, that doesn't mean this is not a legitimate debate. But we have to flesh out the false objection because the real debate is, when do we practice a form of nationalistic idolatry? That's the real question here. The real question is, when is it about cultural hegemony? And when is it about standing in the gap in the culture for the word? That's the real debate. Okay? And we can get those things mixed up, man. Okay? Where your political party is your identity, um, and um, you know C.S. Lewis talks about this in the Screw Tape Letters. They don't care down in hell whether it turns you into a pacifist on the left or a patriot on the right. If you see your faith as a means to an end to get you some worldly outcome that you want, then as as Uncle Screw Tape says, we have a cage full of such men down here. Okay, and so I think that's the real debate. This is why you've heard me say in the past, I'm not offended at kneelers. If the American, if the American flag is going to stand for what Maisie Hirano wants, I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to kneel to that. I don't care about that country. I'm opposed to it. I'm an enemy of that state. The flag is a piece of cloth, man. What, what, 
what brings a tear to the eye when you see it unfurled is not the cloth, but the values that you have prescribed to it, what you think it is worth, what you think it, it stands for. You can go to a jeweler. You may think those engagement rings are really nice, but until there's a woman that you want to you want to put it on her finger, you ain't spending thousands of dollars to buy it. You're just, hey, that's a nice ring. It has no meaning to you, right? Right. It's not personal. There's not a connection. There's no intimacy there. I mean, if we're just going to become the Marxist state of America, I'm not standing for that anthem. I don't give a rip. I don't even think, I don't think Francis Scott Key would stand for his own anthem. If that's what we're, that's the country we're going to become. He'd take a knee. Well, remember the column you wrote, the last line is a question. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what is it what is it we stand for that's the real issue okay so there's a reason why we go to see and make pilgrimages is to see the declaration of independence and not to see mao's little red book it's not because we value printed words or treatises or or polemics, it's because of the values that the Declaration is for. That's why. Wherever the values, wherever values and ideals and notions inspired from the Word of God are contested, I believe the believer should be involved in that contest. And then I think if that contest does not involve those values or ideals or notions, then as long as participating in it doesn't put you in opposition to those values, you make your own choice at that point, whether you want to participate or not. It's a matter of conscience. But when, when it's clear that the values being contested come from our worldview, then it's not conscience, it's conviction. Well, I think we have an obligation to take that stand. Now, that can look different. I'm not, I'm not a person that thinks, what was it Jim Jordan said to Tucker Carlson last week? Well, that's why we have to keep voting Republican, Mike Pence yesterday. That's why we need more, you know, the, the Supreme Court is so important. We've done this for 50 years, okay? That, that's, those, are, those lines are idolatry, frankly. They're forms of idolatry. You are attaching yourself to a model of this world as an instrument of salvation that then doesn't offer anything back to you other than the satisfaction that I'm involved in the group think of other people that are committing to the, committed to the same action. You know what we call people like that are involved? You know what those kinds of groupings are typically called? Cults? Cults. Yeah, that's what they're typically called. Yeah, cults. By the way, that's not to say voting Republican, you shouldn't do. What's your motivation for these things? I think, see, I think that's something that doesn't get discussed nearly enough. Mainly because I think it's ultimately how God judges us. What's our motivation? Choose this day whom you will serve. Why do you call me Lord if you do not do what I say? Lay down your life for my sake. 
pick up your cross, follow me. I am the vine, you are the branch. Those who remain in me will produce much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Depart from me, you doers of iniquity, doing these things in my name. I never knew you. What a terrible servant you are that you took what I gave you and buried it out of fear. You didn't capitalize on it. These are all challenges of motivation. Because motivation gets to worship. We can get the right results, but with the wrong motivation. And we can do terrible things with the best of intentions. Intentions are what you meant to do. Results are what you actually did. But motivation is whom or what you did those things for. I think we're judged on motivation. I think the scriptures are clear on this all the way through. What's your motivation? Are you motivated by worship or something else? That's why I think we have an obligation. It's an act of worship. It's an act of worship to stand in the gap when the values our Lord gave to us are being contested in that arena. I mean, I, I have, think you have a hard time making an argument. A God who puts himself in a human form to sleep, pee, poop, eat, yawn, sneeze, cough, sweat, hunger, thirst, like we do, did all of that because if he saw, when he, because he was just planning on kind of walking away from the fight. <laughs> just, I'm not, how do you get there? What, what's that mean? Now, we have to decide what's the right fight. America's not the fight. The values the country was founded on, that's the fight. Because those values are ours. And if you surrender those values, you're saying to the world, they're meaningless to you too. And the Lord said, warned us about denying him and what would happen if we did. Now that can look different to different people. That can, that can be political engagement for some and just straight up ministry action and charitable action for others. There's that, where the idolatry gets involved is when you have to live out this, this obligation the same way that I'm motivated to do so. And if you don't, and if you're not as impassioned by the things I am and the way I'm impassioned by them and I choose to exercise that passion, then you're just not as interested or convicted as I am and I'm better than you. See, that's where the, that's where the idolatry and the Pharisaism gets involved. But the idea that we just walk away, Paul didn't. Paul asserted his Roman citizenship how he was given a trial it's how he was given the freedom to travel throughout the empire because he was a Roman citizen he didn't renounce his citizenship he used it and the reality is most people that are saying this Jennifer they don't want to renounce their American citizenship either they want to renounce their American obligation <laughs> that's, that's what they want to renounce the obligation of that citizenship the self-government part of that citizenship 
They want to renounce that. They don't want the obligation to do anything. That's what it's really about. Unfortunately for them, the same statist forces that are pushing on people like you and us, Jennifer, once they're done with people like us, those friends of ours who didn't want to stand in the gap right now and gave a whole bunch of excuses that were pathetic and dishonest as to why, they'll eventually step on their necks next. See, they think, they think by not being like us, they're going to be absolved of the reign of terror to come. No, 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 no. Just when they're done with us, they'll make their way over to their hood next. You have any thought, thoughts on this, gentlemen? I'd be interested to hear Aaron's first as a fellow Protestant. I mean, I do think it's interesting coming at this from two different perspectives to see if his jives first. Again, this is... Guys, this is a variation of the conversation that we had last week when talking about uh, masks. Uh, there needs to be ample room for grace. Um, grace does not mean uh, I have to assent with what you say, but that mm -hmm. grace means the recognition that there is no, there's, there's not a definitive, uh, a definitive answer here necessarily in, 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 in the context of last week's uh, conversation. I, I, I think it's interesting though, what would be interesting to see a, a, is a Venn diagram of those who say you can't be a, a member of the kingdom of heaven while fighting for your rights as an American, and those who also say uh, we have to do what the government tells us to do because that's honoring the government. Good point. We'll come back, put a bow on this, and then have three non-political questions next. While the left embraces cancel culture, let's maybe get in on the action our own side here. You can cancel your leftist supporting cell phone provider and make the switch to America's only conservative cell phone carrier, Patriot Mobile. Uh, they share your values. They'll never charge you hidden fees. And unlike Big Mobile, they won't send your hard-earned money to organizations like Planet, uh, or Planned Parenthood and other leftist culture-killing causes. Get the same reliable nationwide service while you support a country or a company that also loves this country and shares your values, supports our Constitution, and puts people before profits. Switching is easy. Keep your phone number, bring your own phone, or you can buy a new one. And right now, when you join their family of freedom-loving Americans at Patriot Mobile, you get free activation plus a free gift with the offer code Steve. That's a free activation plus a free gift with the offer code Steve. And veterans and first responders, you save even more. So please make the switch today. Call them at 972-PATRIOT. That's 972-PATRIOT. Use the promo code Steve when you call in at 972-PATRIOT or... Just go to PatriotMobile.com slash Steve. That's PatriotMobile.com slash Steve. Let's close the loop on Theology Thursday. I want to go to, I want to look at this from a Sola Scriptura perspective. Romans 13 has often been abused. I've had, um, I had Tom Minnery, former head of the Focus on the Families political arm, tell me on the radio 10 years ago that Romans 13 meant that I had to vote even if all the, and I, and I gave him like the most extreme examples. I'd still have to, that I have to participate in a human system. That That's not what it means, actually. Okay. 
And, and then the opposite end of this spectrum, so the idea that I have to do it, that there's never a point where I conscientiously object. First of all, folks, conscientious objection has its origins in Christianity. We're the ones that came up with this idea that sometimes this world becomes so bad, the causes that are competing against each other are so vile that we're just going to abstain. Nah, that's not our fight, but thank you. But then there's the other extreme, as Jennifer Wallman is pointing out, you know, that we just passively just get run over and don't do anything. Okay. The last line there in Romans 13, Paul says, give honor to whom honor is due. See, that's the clarifying conclusion to all of these other passages. People act as if Paul, what Paul wrote in Romans 13 supersedes Christ's render under Caesar that which is Caesar's and render under God that which is God's. No, it doesn't do that. It clarifies that. It's, it's, it's giving it more of a layered nuance application. That's why he gives several examples like paying taxes and stuff like that. Obeying the civil law. But that last part is key. Give honor to whom honor is due. When, so if you're to give honor to, to whom honor is due, when someone asks for an honor that they're not due, what does that statement then probably mean? Don't give it to them. You know why? Render unto Caesar what? That which belongs to his or to him. That God has allowed him to have charge over this. So then render under God that for which God has, has claimed only for himself. Caesars like to claim honor, though, that they're not due, like Nero did, <clears throat> and Paul told him no, which is why Nero cut off his head. Peter did, and Peter told them no, which is why they crucified him upside down, like Polycarp did, and he told them no, and so they burnt him alive. Why do you guys think we have martyrs? If there's never a place where the church says no, why was there ever a martyr then? What do you think? They just law, This is Shirley Jackson's short story, The Lottery. And it just so happened that all the names that came out were all names of apostles, Christian uh, uh, evangelists, saints. Oh, man. We lost the lottery again. They just keep picking on us. No. No, those people were all martyred because they told the Caesar, a tribal chieftain, a king, a governor, a dictator, no. We will happily obey you up until the point you ask of us something that doesn't belong to you, but only only has the jurisdictional authority for God. And in that case, then the answer is no. Nero wants to order me to sweep the streets. I'll sweep the streets. Nero wants to order me to paint on the streets. God has no son. The answer is no, right? That's, this is a very key distinction here. What is the honor that is being asked? Is that an honor that belongs to God alone? Then the answer is no. Did you have any thoughts you wanted to add before we well, move on? Well, again, this is, uh, I, I'm always fascinating as a Catholic. This isn't a, I mean, we've got our own uh, mistakes and things we trip over or obsess over. Um, but I'm all, if, if the Sabbath, uh, that you, 
he, the, the Sabbath wasn't, uh, or man was not made of the, the, uh, for, for the, the Sabbath. Sabbath. The right. Sabbath was made uh, for man. Mm-hmm. If that applies to the Sabbath, it seems like why, I don't understand why Protestants trip. Uh, the, it, the same thing applies to this level of obsession over Meaning the law. If, if something, if if, if an unjust law, if that's is no tr- law right. at all. If that's true about one of God's Ten Commandments. Yes, exactly. If that's true, that that uh, that that level of author- that level of application applies to one of God's explicit revealed laws. Yes. Then why wouldn't we think that also applies, therefore, to man's own yeah, civil codes? That's right? a junk law, and it uh, yeah. it dis- it does a disservice to mankind. Martin Luther King said it itself, "It's yeah. it's bunk. Yeah. I'm not doing it." Right. That's a good point. I don't get it. So I, just, I guess we could have, I guess what we just learned here, Todd, is we could have, or Aaron, we could have handed our no, 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 whole no. scriptural exegesis here to the Catholic and well, we don't do ended this. this segment about 35 minutes ago. But the I think that pretty much wraps it up. Yep. We're done here. Okay. I'm genuinely, fa- and I know it's, we could do this in reverse. And I know we have sometimes, where mm-hmm. I, 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 we are our feet of clay in our own tribes, just like get like ant-man go goes huge this is such a weird obsession even this guy who's very whose people are clapping for right now uh, the california we just talked about mccarter M- macarthur macarthur yeah. excuse me yeah he's got this same jones yeah right because he spent years preaching that the that the american revolution was a sin against romans 13 yeah it's it's fascinating yeah okay all right now i guess we're done let's get to three questions okay we all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? A question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Three non-political questions because we need a little bit of frivolity for the final seven, eight minutes or so of the show. Question number one. If you were a Major League Baseball player, what walk-up song would best describe you? Mm. Not what would you choose, but what would best describe you? Uh, So, like, I couldn't choose, like, Randy Newman's The Natural Theme. It'd have to be something like Truth in Advertising. I think so. Something like that. Okay. Um, like I don't know. Ah, uh, wow. Clint Black's "Good Run of Bad Luck" that comes to mind. Um, little Kenny Rogers, "The Gambler," maybe. Um, that's a very good question. I well. You guys help me. Did I, if, if you were choosing that song for me, did I make good choices or not? Or, or, or do you think there, there was something else I, I'm missing here? I like the gambler. Oh, okay. We don't want to be overly existential about this. I how mean, about, how about um, I Feel for You, Shaka Khan? No. Shaka Khan, let me rock you, let me rock you, Shaka Khan. Let me rock you, that's all I want to do. How about that? No. 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 No, no you've that gone would, too that would, far. That would not necessarily summarize. My athletic no. prowess? No. No. Okay. That, then never mind. Okay. I'll stick. I'll stick with Kenny Rogers, the gambler. Okay. But why is that? I don't know, man. You I don't know. No one to hold him. No one to fold him. Kind of like. You no. Know, um, should I even be here right now? 
kind of in over my skis. See, this is you're being weird right now. Because <laughs> the question is weird. No, you take this is you and music. You take this very seriously. Yeah, but, yeah very but he didn't ask me to pick the song that I would like to have played that he thought would summarize myself. I don't know how to answer that question. I don't listen to songs. But and music, think, yeah, that's just, that, but, how narcissistic do you have to be? That song's totally me. That song's totally about me. But music's a know. very personal thing. I just thought you'd be like, oh, I thought. I mean, you, yeah, but at, I've never we looked go at on a, soliloquies about Kit Kat bars. I know. I, I know, thought you would. Just I know, be like, but we. I don't. I don't look at. <laughs> I don't look at the songs as through the premise of. Oh yeah, that's just so me. I don't look at it that way. I'm like, I just like that song. Cool. I don't like see myself in like any of these songs. I just like the song, you know? I don't know. Is there a song about a kid born to a 15-year-old mom who goes to work for a national platform 45 years later? If, they don't, if there's no such song that exists, then I couldn't pick a song that's about me. What, what song would that be? Do you know? I'm not picking. It's your walk-up song. You get to pick it, man. I was really looking forward All to right, this. Then I'm going with Mama Said Knock You Out. LL Cool J, I'm going with that. That's Shackeron, Macaron. If I can't have Shaka Khan, then I'm going with LL. What about you? I'm trying. Luke Combs, this guy, country singer, he, really, really good stuff. He's growing. He was supposed to be at the state fair, and now that's canceled. But I would have absolutely gone to see him. He's got this one. Unfortunately, I don't even know what it's it's uh, called right now. If Aaron, what's yours? Let me look at. I'm trying to find it, but I was busy cross-examining. And he wants a song that he doesn't know what it's called. Gustav Gustav Holtz or Holst. Sorry, Gustav Holst, Mars, bringer of war. That's mine. <laughs> See, I would, do if I, I were picking you? your song, it would be Phil Collins, I don't care anymore. You just don't do care. I, do I strike you as anything. Jupiter, bringer of jollity? Now you strike me as the, as, as the, the non-bringer. You're just... Yeah. You're brought. You're yeah, just I'm there. Brought. Do you find yeah. the song yet, Todd? No, go on to that. I'll get it. <laughs> okay. Uh, what's on your Mount Rushmore of things you hated as a kid but love now? Onions. I love red onions. Hated them as a kid. I love red onions. Like, I could eat them, like, you know, like a snack. I mean, see, this is... You've grown because you you are very locked in based on your childhood to your food pattern. So you that's a big deal. Yeah, I know. I know. That you've transcended. Yeah. Little Caesars Pizza is another one. Well, I loved it as a kid. And then I got the worst case of stomach flu ever my 10th grade year. And the last thing I ate was Little Caesars Pizza. And I mean, I could not even smell it. And growing up in Michigan, avoiding the scent of Little Caesars pizza is difficult, okay? So it took me about 10 to 15 years before I could eat it again, but so I'm going to count that, okay? Because as a kid, I couldn't stand it for a while just because the smell gave me like cellular memory of that terrible stomach flu in the in the winter of 88, um, or was it 89? One of those two years. Um, what else that I like now that I didn't like then? Um... I'm going to go with pumpkin spice because they didn't have it back then. So I love there it now. There it is. Yeah. There it is. Got to have that somewhere on there. They had it back then. It just hadn't been discovered yet. Yeah, okay. Um, I got to come up with a fourth thing that I like now because I still kind of have the palate of an 11-year-old, which is why you were shocked to see me lead with the onions, right? Yes. Yeah? Yes. Um, cauliflower. I like cauliflower. I'll go with, the other, I'll go with that. And I mean, I, I'm not talking like drowning in cheese. Like, I, I, I could just put salt and pepper on it and eat it by itself. 
Actually, you know what? I'll get rid of the pumpkin spice and because that's kind of cheating. And I just, uh, oh, I forgot what it's called. Well, I'm going to go with the uh, with green onions then too. I love green onions. Onions, green onions. Red onions, green onions. Yellow onions. Um, <laughs> yellow candy cane, candy corn. <laughs> this is what I was counting on. This is, this is the nuance I wanted from the song discussion. Orange peppers. I love those. Love orange peppers. Todd? Does to Me by Luke Combs. That's the song. Okay. It's awesome. Uh, I'm going to gross you out. Uh, but beats. Oh, gosh. Of course. Of course you do. I don't regularly eat them now, but it I like t- them now. Yeah. As okay. A, as a kid. You tastes know, like, like dirt. You love the thing that tastes like dirt. Man, I drink vinegar. I, man, it's you good wa- Yeah, you wash it down. I'm not saying a word in case Super I, Beats ever comes to I us about have, doing advertising on this show. I'm not going to be on the record. I don't have the palate of an 11-year-old kid, so that's like... Yeah, I know. Mr. Do, vinegar. Yeah, we know. Let's do this. Yeah. Uh, Three more. Or do you not have three more? Oh, it was a Mount many? Rushmore. Oh, it was a Mount Rushmore. Yeah, I think uh, we all need a vacation to last five. I mean, uh, vegetable like uh, Brussels sprouts. Yeah, that's on mine. I, I eat those now. Uh, uh, well, uh, uh, sushi. So there's that raw fish. I've never had it. That does not surprise me. <laughs> Uh, Do you put I, a, does it come on a pizza? And I'm not a huge sushi fan, but I like it now. And what else? One thing that you wanted to have as a kid. Uh, I don't know. I, I like food, so. You like food? Okay. Uh, for me, it's Brussels sprouts, asparagus, driving, and uh, mowing. Although I don't mow. Hardly oh, this wasn't mow. strictly a food question? That was just a food question. Did I? No, I don't think I said food. I thought you I? said four foods you didn't like as a kid that you like now. Four things. Oh. Yeah. I guess I took it as a food. Okay. It went that direction. It did? Yeah. Okay. Uh, final question. Because I like mowing now, too. I agree with you. Yeah. yeah. Final question. Uh, what's the la- or When's the last time you tried something completely new? <sighs> something completely new. Uh, last weekend, the Key Lime Martini at the waterfront restaurant so 2020 has forced you to drink yes it's driven me to drink and i will tell you it was incredible i even got another one that's how good it was i mean it was incredible the key lime martini at the waterfront restaurant i totally believe that i totally believe that I got to go. That's a good restaurant, too. Yeah, I'd never been there before. Oh, yeah. And I just thought, I'm going to try this. Did you get the sushi? No, no. I got the... Uh, Iowa is renowned for its The seafood. rock shrimp po' boy. <laughs> <laughs> we export our sushi all over the world, yes. We do. That's we're well known for it, as a matter of fact, yes. <laughs> he grew up, I mean, in the middle of nowhere, though, Iowa. You know, we, there's like, we, you're in the city now, boy. Yeah. Give us, give us an answer. We're almost out of here, Todd, quickly. <sighs> what do you, I don't even remember the Something question. Something brand new you just tried. Oh, well, just tried. I mean, I was an adult until I shot a gun. I was well into my 30s until I actually shot a nice. gun. Nice. Okay. There nice. you go. Trampoline park. I'd pay real money to see that. We're going to stick around and do some overtime. For the rest of you, have a great Thursday. John 317. 
This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.